Uh, we're going to be in several different passages. Uh, probably first, I believe it's in the book of Matthew in chapter 3. <clears throat> but we're going to be in several different passages. Baptism, and we're going to be talking about uh, the mode. Now, I know I'm probably preaching to, the, well, probably nothing. I'm preaching to the choir uh, on the mode of baptism. And uh, meaning mode, there's three, there's three modes, there's, uh, and these are the proper terms, okay? There's aspersion, effusion, and immersion, okay? And obviously, because we have a big old hunk and tub up there, we're an immersion group, and we'll talk about that. But uh, three, different, three different people, we're going to talk about why that immersion is the only biblical and thus proper mode for baptism. Okay, we're going to use five different areas of proof for that, five different areas, and we're going to, some, of it, some of it might seem like overkill, but believe it or not, when you get into theology, these are all the kind of things that theologically you would talk about to help prove these same, uh, coming out a different avenue on the same attack. So the scriptural baptism, it's mode. So aspersion, the three, the three primary modes in Christendom today are aspersion, okay? And if, if you're, if you're a, a person that likes etymology, that should almost make itself somewhat uh, readily understood, but that is sprinkling, okay? Aspersion is sprinkling. It's where you drop a few drops of water or maybe even sprinkle just a little bit uh, out of a bowl. Typically, though, it's kind of off a hand uh, or a device. I believe it or not, heard one of the weirdest things I've ever heard on the version of sprinkling was somebody who dipped a palm leaf um, uh, in water and slapped the person being baptized with the palm leaf, literally, uh, and that was their baptism because uh, they got water from a palm leaf, because that's in the Bible. And the guy was, we didn't, didn't bother arguing with him, because he was like, well, if you'd read your Bible, you'd see it's in there plain as day. Okay. <laughs> Just walk away from that one. Uh, then there's a fusion. A fusion is pouring. So it's where you get a little, a little bowl, or, or a little container of some sort, and you pour. So I have even seen it where people take their hands like this, and they drop it over top of the person. So a pouring, when a small quantity of water, again, is poured over the head uh, of the candidate. And then, of course, immersion. And immersion means they're completely immersed. Okay, They're dunked, dipped, however you want to call it. So, according to the Word of God, again, there's only one correct method. And we're going to see that that method is correct from multiple avenues. The first one, so the first area of proof that we're going to offer is New Testament examples. Okay? New Testament examples, they show or imply immersion, okay? They show or imply immersion. So, and we would call this as the scriptural argument, okay? So Matthew chapter 3, here where we go, and, uh, and we'll keep looking at it. And if you're waiting for me to get to the definition, we'll get there. That's the, uh, that's the what is that one, the ontological? It's etym- etymological, uh, argument, okay? So in Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 6, okay? These are group people coming out to, to John the Baptist, and verse 6 says, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. It doesn't say they were baptized of him with Jordan. It says they were in the Jordan. 
Okay? It, it, if you're sprinkling or pouring, it is completely unnecessary to be in the Jordan River. You can get a horse trough. You can get a little side light next to the Jordan River. You can have somebody running down and grabbing you buckets. There's no need for sprinkling or pouring if you're in the Jordan. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, in the Jordan. Um, we could also look at uh, verse 16. Okay? So look at verse 16. This is Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. Okay? And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the, the, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Uh, he's not saying that he suddenly levitated out of the water. He walked out of the water. Okay, So again, he's down in the water and had to come out. Matter of fact, the, the, the verbiage around there could, doesn't even mean that he has to have left the bank. It literally can be just that he's come up out of the water, finished being baptized, and all this happens then. Uh, so again, we've got this, uh, we're down in the Jordan, he's coming up out of the water. Uh, this kind of a pretty plain thing there. We could look at just a kind of a, a sidelong, I'm not going to use this as too strong into argument, uh, but in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus looks at the disciples because they're all talking about you know, some of that, how great they want to be and how much they're going to serve him. And he asks them, can you be baptized uh, was he baptized with a baptism I am baptized with. And what he's referencing is not his water baptism, but his upcoming crucifixion, in which he is going to be overwhelmed with sin, overwhelmed with the judgment of that sin, and all that kind of stuff. And the idea there is, is not that a little trouble is going to be sprinkled on him, but that he's going to be overwhelmed with the trouble and with the payment for sin. So that's kind of a, I'm not going to spend too much time there, and then, uh, let's see here, go to John in chapter 3. John in chapter 3. John chapter 3, go down uh, towards the, about two-thirds of the way through the chapter. Verse 23. John chapter 3, verse 23. There it says, And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salim, Salim, or Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Again, why do you need much water? If you're sprinkling, you don't. You can spring an awful lot of people with a bucket. Uh, how much are you gonna, how much, uh, why do you need much water even for pouring? You really don't, but if you're going to baptize, you've got to have a decent amount of water, okay? Uh, I think this one sits around 480 gallons, I think it is, 400, 500 gallons, this, this one is. Uh, that's not a little bit of water. Try carrying that from the truck downstairs, and you'll, you'll find out how much water that is. So John required much water to baptize. So again, we got this, what's the purpose of sprinkling, or how can this be sprinkling? What, how can this be? It has to be immersion, Okay, and then Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And if you're thinking, is this the only argument? No. We'll get to some better ones. Uh, but this, the, this is pretty obvious from Scripture. And re- once you take all these together, it actually gets, starts getting humorous why anybody could end up at sprinkling or pouring except for some basis of the priest not wanting to get wet or I don't know. They don't have to leave the church. You know, they can use a little bird, bird bath. It's in the back of the church, whatever. So Acts chapter 8, 
We're going to go towards the end of the chapter. Verse 38, Acts chapter 8, verse 38. This is, again, one of my favorites, but Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, and they were come up out of the water. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So again... They both went down into the water, and they both came up out of the water. Again, we don't, there's just a uh, highly unlikely here that we're talking about sprinkling or pouring. Okay, uh, why would Philip need a whole bunch of water to do that? He could have used his water. He probably had a water. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch or Philip, either one, probably had a water sack of some sort that would have sufficed quite well uh, for a baptism if it was just sprinkling or pouring. So that's number one. Okay, the. The New Testament examples show or imply immersion. Number two, the second area of proof, okay, is honestly the most obvious to me. I would actually stop at this argument almost every time, okay? And that is the meaning of the word baptize. The meaning of the word baptize. The meaning of the word, literally the definition is immerse. And I've mentioned this before. this is, for those of you who are, are interested, this is the etymological argument. So if, like, if, you're, if you're into studying word backgrounds, okay, etymology is the origin and historical development of words and their meanings. Okay? So the word baptize, some people get confused about why does, why, do, why does our Bible use the word baptize? Why doesn't it just say dip? Or why doesn't it just say immerse? Uh, well, it was, it was one of the rules that had been provided uh, by the king for translation, was that they would use the word baptize uh, in this case. But also, it was a commonly used word at the time. Everybody knew what baptism was. It wasn't like it was uh, a hidden thing, and for some reason, everybody had to learn this new word. Baptism or baptize was already a very common word uh, during the translation of the, of the King James into English. Uh, the Bishop's Bible, uh, I mean... Uh, all those, when they were the Great Bible, when they were being translated, baptism was already a commonly used word. So, and we use it commonly. And most of us know what it means. Okay? So the meaning of the word baptize. Okay? So I'm going to give you uh, Greek dictionaries. They call them lexicons. Okay? Uh, and I'm not sure if I, lexicon is a, a, hair more import, a hair more accurate than a dictionary, if you will. But I've give, there's three uh, the first two I know, this, the third one I do not, but he's considered one of the uh, trustworthy lexicons or dictionaries for Greek. The first one is Liddell and Scott. Liddell and Scott, and uh, most, most people recognize that as one of the best uh, lexicons in the area of classical Greek. Okay? And they give the following meaning. The actual word is baptizo. They give this as the definition. To dip in or under water, of ships to sink or disable them, to be drenched, soaked in wine over head and ears in debt, being drowned with questions, getting into deep water. So you get to draw wine by dipping the cup in the bowl to dip oneself, etc. Okay? Thayer. I use Thayer quite a bit. I have him readily available to me. Uh, So, uh, again, uh, Thayer is considered the best lexicon in the area of New Testament Greek, okay? New, so you could use Liddell and Scott for like, um, if you're Homer, if you're reading Homer, want to find out what some of those Greek areas, Greek words in Homer, or some of the 
the stories of the gods and that. But fair is New Testament Greek. And he says this meaning of the word baptizo. To dip repeatedly, to immerse, submerge of vessels that are sunk. To cleanse by dipping or submerging. To wash, to make clean with water, to overwhelm. Again, so you have that constant repetition of under, under. Okay? A third, a third uh, lexicon that is reputable is named Barry, George Ricker Barry. He also has a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, and these are his definitions, okay? Uh, to bathe oneself, to immerse, to submerge, to baptize, uh, to be immersed in a material uh, that would be expressed, okay? He's, he also mentions the ceremony of baptism or overwhelming afflictions, okay? Uh, the act of cleansing a vessel by dropping it down into a bowl, or you know, into a water. Um, so there we go. So you have that continual dipping. Okay? And if I, if I was to remind you again that the original usage of the word was when they would take arrows and they wanted to poison them, to make them poison arrows, they would take the arrow tip and they would dip it in the poison. They would bury it. They didn't sprinkle poison on it. They had a bowl of poison and they would dip the arrowhead in there. Now, what about sprinkling and pouring? Could we use the word baptizo to get to sprinkling or pouring? Because that's a fair question. Does the word baptize include the possibility? Because, you know, just like the English language, uh, we could say, um, I think I'm hot, and we could mean a whole lot of stuff. Or that car is hot. That could mean several different things. Okay? It's a really cool car. There we go. Hot and cool mean the same thing. How is that? It's an awesome car, or it's a stolen car, or literally it's been out in the sun too long, like today, and it's just hot, okay? So what about, what, what are the other words that might be used? So, so here's the deal, though, that the words for sprinkling and pouring are different, completely different, and they're not interused. So the word baptism, as noticed, as noticed as we talked about, it's to plunge, to dip, to immerse, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, just kind of as a, a, a off-the-wall the Greek Orthodox Church practices infant baptism, but they believe in immersion. So their babies get dunked. <laughs> so imagine that one, moms. Uh, so anyways, uh, the, so they actually literally immerse uh, infants for baptism. So that's the word for immerse, baptizo. So if I'm going to sprinkle something, okay, that word is rantizo, so baptizo, Rantizo. So this word is used in Hebrews 9.21. If you want to go look at it yourself, uh, in Hebrews they're referencing uh, the, the work at the tabernacle where they sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the, on the altar, on the horns of the altar. Rantizo. Okay. And then the word for poor is chio. Chio. Very rarely used by itself. It's almost always used in connection with something else. Uh, you're going to find it in the New Testament most often as katachio or enchio, okay? And it means to pour. That's what it means, to pour. So rantizo means to sprinkle, and uh, chio or katachio means to pour down. I mean, and the three are very distinct in usage. So just kind of a, oh, and that's also, uh, you'll see that in Matthew 26, 7. I think it's also in Hebrews as well, because in the sacrifices, some blood is sprinkled and some is poured. Okay, uh, so katachio or enchio, Matthew 20, and it'll look like poor uh, in the New Testament. If we were to go back into the Old Testament, 
Okay, and just look at, uh, I'll just give you one verse to see that the Bible sees a distinction between dipping, immer- dipping immersion, and sprinkling and pouring. Okay, I would go to Leviticus 4, 6, and 7. Again, this is Old Testament in Hebrew. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, that's immerse, and sprinkle of the blood, and shall pour all the rest of the blood on the, of the bullock. Okay, three different things. So again, if, if the Bible meant it to be sprinkle or pour, it used none of those words in reference, or none of those definitions in connection with. So, and I think that's the one we stick with most often. Why do you immerse? Because the word baptize means immerse, and that's enough. <laughs> the Bible, if the, what, uh, what the Bible says is what it means, and we just need to adjust ourselves to what it means. Uh, and by the way, you never stop doing that. You never stop doing that. I'm telling you, I just found out a whole, a whole other word today that I long thought meant one thing, and it means something very different. And I, I may, it's something I've been studying on a, a good bit, and I may preach on it later. Uh, but one of those verses, I just thought I knew what it meant my whole life. But I never really looked up all the definitions and come to find out somebody did. And it messes up your doctrine. It messes up your doctrine. You've got to correct it to what the Bible says. So the third area of proof, the third area of proof, the use of the word baptize demands immersion. Okay? And this is a grammatical argument. So uh, this is almost funny. This is how you, this is how you, how you use this. Okay? Take, take in pretty much any of the, the scripture, the text that use the word baptize. Okay? And take the word baptize out and put the word sprinkle in or pour in, okay? And you're going to run into a a grammatical problem right away. Now, for some of you, if you weren't really great at English, it might not make any sense. But let's just use Matthew 3, 6, the one that we we used. Uh, And they were baptized of him in Jordan, okay? Baptize implies that that person had to be dropped into the water now. So let's let's just substitute the word sprinkle there. So we just take, all we're going to do is take out the word baptize, and we're going to put in the words baptized, past tense, and put in sprinkled, past tense. And they were sprinkled of him in Jordan. Now, that may make sense to you, but actually, grammatically, that's very, very wrong. In other words, what you're saying is that the person themselves were somehow powderized and sprinkled into the Jordan. That's, that's the grammatical truth of how that would have to be. You would actually have to reconstruct the sentence so that they were sprinkled with water. You would have to say that, so that that person was sprinkled with water by them in Jordan. So to say that he sprinkled them in the Jordan, you get, everybody hear where I'm going? He's actually taking the people, he's baptizing them, somehow he's powderized them, and he's sprinkling them in the Jordan. And you can do that with almost any one of these passages that talk about baptism. It creates a problem. Um, if the Ethiopian eunuch was poured, <laughs> you know, and so Philip, so Philip poured him in the water, well, he melted? <laughs> so, I mean, you get the picture of this, and so here's kind of an interesting thing, it's, it's another one of those, and you may or might, may not know it, but one of the attacks against the King James is that it did actually use the word baptize instead of immerse, okay, and there's even a Catholic argument that says that King James made a big fuss about this, it never should have been it never should have been baptized. It should have been immersed. But the problem was, most of us, most people in the world know what the word baptize means. Most people, as a matter of fact, most people at that time knew what baptism meant. Okay? So it wasn't like it was some brand new word. 
it is a transliterated word. In other words, it's not, we didn't take the definition of this word and come up with the English word that has the same definition. We literally just took the Greek, the Greek word itself and made it easier, easier to say in English. So baptizo to Baptist. But it's not like we're, we don't do that, right? So has anybody ever eaten um, an eclair? You ate, you ate a donut. But an eclair is a French word, okay? Has anybody ever had a croissant? You mean a croissant? <laughs> you mean one of them croissant things? Yeah, that's French. I mean, you get the picture. Uh, I, I hate to tell you this, but if you've got friends that cuss, they're all, most of them are talking French because most cuss words are French. Kind of, that should be interesting too, but anyways. So, so, so that was the, the, the use of the word baptize demands immersion. That's the grammatical argument. Now we're going to go to the fourth, fourth area of proof. The fourth area of proof, and this is the symbolic argument. In other words, baptism, the, that which baptism pictures, requires immersion. Okay? Baptism pictures something, and to f- complete that picture, it requires immersion. Okay? So, Romans chapter 6. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to go down and read just two verses here. Verse 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore we are, what's that word? Buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're seeing the picture of baptism is of a burial. Would Jerome smell if all we did was sprinkle a little bit of dirt on all the dead people? It'd smell a lot worse than it does when the cows are having trouble. Uh, and the same thing for poor. No, the, the, the whole picture is someone who has died, they are buried beneath the surface, and that we look forward to a rising again, and also we experience a rising again, the old man being dead, the new man now being alive, the, the new man, the spiritual man being made alive. So the whole picture of baptism is burial. So how does sprinkling, you know, I, it almost makes me wonder now if that's why, you know, I don't know if you know this, but some religions, uh, bef- as the casket is being lowered, the the priest or the preacher will walk forward and get a handful of dirt and they'll sprinkle a little cross uh, on, the, on the casket. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen it multiple times on non-Baptist uh, uh, funerals. And I've always wondered, what's the purpose of that? It's just a pretty picture, you know, put a little cross on there, a dirt. Um, I, I mean, I never really, I mean, you know, it's a kind of a, an interesting symbol to me, if you're going to do a symbol, I think the putting, a, putting an Easter lily has a much bigger symbol than, than a little bit of dirt would be, you know, because it's the future resurrection. But I kind of wonder what that did. So we could also look at Colossians 2.12, says much the same thing. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So the picture, 
Sprinkling does not picture a burial. Pouring does not picture a burial. Okay? Uh, they're, they're both symptomatic. As a matter of fact, if that's supposed to be something connected with the gospel, it's not the gospel that the Bible teaches. Because you understand baptism is connected to the gospel. The death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. So if you're sprinkling your pouring and you're connecting that to the gospel, you've got a bad gospel. That's the wrong gospel. So the only proper one of those three, aspersion, effusion, or immersion, is immersion because it's the only one that actually pictures a burial. Okay? So, <laughs> number five. The fifth area of proof that shows immersion is the only proper mode. Now, this one, this one is a historical argument. Uh, not a hysterical argument. It's a historical argument. Now, believe it or not, everybody used to immerse. Everybody. Uh, sprinkling and pouring is all, I'll say, fairly recent uh, in the whole course of things. I like the 12th century recent. So sprinkling and pouring uh, pretty much started kind of happening in the 12th century. And even some churches that we would not agree with at all doctrinally, even biblically, they were still uh, immerse, Im, giving, practicing immersion up into the 18th century that now are using sprinkling or pouring. And here's just a few, here's a few thoughts. As a matter of fact, nobody will argue that. Okay, So if you talk to theologians, then none of them are going to argue that everybody used to immerse back in the day. Well, I mean, unless they haven't read real well. So the Roman Catholic Council of Ravenna, or Ravenna, 1311 A.D. 1311 A.D. Decreed. Baptism is to be administered by trying aspersion, sprinkling, or immersion. Okay, that's 1311 A.D. The Synod of Tarragona, 1391 A.D., spoke of the submersion of children in baptism. Okay, I get this one. Queen Elizabeth I, okay, she died in 1603. She was immersed. And that's, does everybody know Queen Elizabeth? She ain't Baptist. Right? Does everybody know she's Anglican? Uh, Y'all know what Anglicans are, right? So Anglicans, as the Catholic Church tried to assert its power over the nation of England, and the king at the time, I believe it was King Henry VI or VIII, said, or maybe the fifth, but it was one of those Henrys, I'm pretty sure. He said, yeah, fat chance, that's not happening here. And so he cut the Catholic Church off, their power off, in the nation of England, declared himself the new head, okay, the new head of the same religion, the same practices in the nation of, in the nation of England or the, the kingdom of England and called it Anglican, the, the, okay, the Church of England. But it's Catholicism with a different name. And a different head. Okay, it's the same basic junk, uh, which is what the Orthodox churches are as well, mostly. So, so Queen Elizabeth baptized the Synod of Tarragona, 1391, said submersion of children. Here's the Catholic. Here's the Catholic Cyclopedia. Okay, the Catholic Cyclopedia. Okay, this is a a, a quote from W. A. Gerald. The most ancient form usually employed was immersion, 12th century. After that time, it is found in some places as late as the 16th century. Infusion or aspersion, however, was a growing custom in the 13th century and gradually prevailed in the Western Church. 
Okay? How about Martin Luther? Does everybody know who Martin Luther is? Lutheran Church nailed the 95 Theses? To the, okay. This is, this is a quote from Martin Luther. Baptism is a Greek word, this is a quote from him, and may be translated immerse. I would have those who are to be baptized to be altogether dipped. That's Martin Luther. Okay? Now the Lutheran Church no longer generally practices immersion. Okay? And some of that is because Luther himself um, begun to be associated with a group called the Anabaptists at the time and wanted nothing to do with them. And so he, around 1525, he stopped immersion and went to something different. Okay? He, re, uh, he began to more go into the whole infant baptism realm of sprinkling and pouring. So 1525, Martin Luther changed his doctrine from immersion okay, to infant baptism and a state church model of sprinkling and pouring because he did not want to be associated with the very hated, at that time, hated Anabaptists. John Calvin, I think everybody here knows who John Calvin is. The, he's the head of the Reformed Church. Um, he's the beginning of the Reformed Church. We are not Calvinists. Uh, John Calvin, though, said this. The word baptize signifies immerse. It is certain immersion was the practice of the primitive church. And to be fair, to be honest, most Reformed churches still practice immersion uh, as their form of baptism. Not all, but most. So, um, and I don't know if you know it, but Calvin hated the Baptists. He was not a Baptist fan at all. So, uh, a man by the name of Wall, he's an Anglican, okay, He said, immersion was in all probability the way in which our blessed Savior and for certain the way by which the ancient Christians received their baptism. John Wesley, John Wesley, that's the beginning of the Methodist church, okay? He said this, buried with him by baptism, alluding to the ancient manner of baptizing by immersion. So, those are the five areas of proof from Scripture and from history, okay? But why we believe, um, and I don't see any other argument, why uh, immersion, dipping down in the water beneath, I actually, I actually double-check, well, I, I, I actually tell them, keep, try to keep yourself below water, and if they're not, I'll reach over and push, push down the leg or whatever, because they've got to be buried. The, the, the picture is burial, okay? Not that if I missed a toe that they're not baptized or something like that. But you get the picture. The picture, the picture has to be burial. Okay? So it has to be immersion. So the number one area of proof, the number one was all New Testament examples show or imply that. Number two, the meaning of the word baptize itself is to immerse. Okay? Number three... The word the use of the word, the grammatical use of the word baptize demands immersion. Number four, baptism pictures burial, therefore immersion is the only one that actually does that. And then number five is the facts of church history show that immersion for centuries upon centuries was the only mode practiced and, was brought, and other forms are brought out uh, more recently. And we don't really have to go into why they brought that out. I think um, if you start thinking about uh, just think about baptizing babies um, and, and think about that logically through the years, especially through the Middle Ages. You'll begin to understand possibly why they stopped dunking and why they moved to pouring or, or sprinkling, plus the ease of use, efficiency, 
all those things could, could certainly be, have contributors to much of that. So nothing easier than to not have to commit myself to get, be soaking wet and become a Christian. Make a little promise, have to sprinkle a little water on my head, and let's go to dinner. <laughs> Instead of, I've got to run back and do my hair. <laughs> but anyways, so that is the mode, the mode of baptism, and that is immersion. Next week, we're going to come back and look uh, for a short little bit, again, at what well, we talked about some tonight, but the symbolism, the symbolism of baptism. And I say that purposefully because there are many churches that teach that baptism is a sacrament. And what that means is they believe that it's required for salvation. It's required for part of the cleansing of salvation. We do not believe that. The Bible does not teach that, although there are some passages that could be confused. Uh, but the Bible's teaching on belief by itself is quite clear. Uh, but we're going to look at, so baptism being a symbol, and what is a symbol of and what that means. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Next week. Father, we thank you very much.